Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to AccessibleWorld.org, the um, Worldview of History Room. The date is January 20th, 2010. And our host tonight uh, is Don Queen. I think we'll start with his presentation, and then Don will get the mic here. So we welcome all of you, and thank you all for coming. Thank you, Bob, and good evening, everybody. Our book for tonight is Churchill, Hitler, and the, quote, unnecessary war, unquote, how Britain lost its empire and the West lost the world. Published in 2008 by the author, TV pundit, and advisor to three presidents, as well as three-time presidential candidate, Patrick J. Buchanan. While I have become concerned that too many of our authors occupy the left side of the literary aisle, tonight's author, whose best-selling memoir, quote, right from the beginning, as well as his national advocacy of social conservatism, opposition to multiculturalism, abortion, gay rights, and immigration, brings us back towards the center of the political spectrum. His other bestsellers are... A Republic, Not an Empire, The Death of the West, Day of Reckoning, and State of Emergency. He is also co-founder of the American Conservative Magazine. Besides his syndicated column, he has published articles in Human Events, The National Review, The Nation, and Rolling Stone magazines. He appears regularly on mainstream television, Crossfire, the McLaughlin Group, the Capital Gang, and now NBC's Morning Joe. Now something about Pat's background. He was born 71 years ago in Washington, D.C., into a family of six brothers and two sisters, one of whom, Bay Buchanan, became United States Treasurer during the Reagan administration. He attended Catholic elementary and high school, and graduated from Georgetown University in 1960. In 1962, he obtained his master's degree in journalism from Columbia University. In 1971, he married a White House staffer, Shelley Ann Scarney. At age 23, his first reported employment as an editorial writer for the St. Louis Globe Democrat began with a bang when after eight weeks a rewrite of his master's degree project was published under an eight-column headline entitled Canada Sells to Red Cuba and Prospers. In 1964 he was promoted to assistant editorial page editor. He worked actively for the election of Barry Goldwater and joined the Young Americans for Freedom for whom he wrote press releases. In 1965, he went to work as an executive assistant for the well-known New York law firm Nixon, Mudge, Rose, Guthrie, Alexander, and Mitchell, and was the first person hired by the Nixon campaign team as an oppositional researcher, and soon became known as Mr. Inside. He was hired at the White House as a senior advisor 
and speechwriter for President Nixon and Spiro Agnew, becoming famous for a number of phrases such as the silent majority. He remained with the Nixon administration until President Nixon's resignation. Years later, President Nixon described him as being a, quote, confidant, a, quote, decent and patriotic American, that he was not an anti-Semite nor a, quote, hater, unquote. But he did not agree with Buchanan's foreign policy and did not think he should be president, although he should be heard as a commentator. He continued for a short time as special assistant for Gerald Ford, and in 1985 to 87, he served as a White House communications director in the Reagan administration. During this time, he and his sister began the campaign for the presidency in 1992 and 96 as a Republican, and the year 2000, under the flag and $12 million of public funds of the Reform Party. Now that we've heard about Buchanan, the politician, and Buchanan, the pundit, let's see what kind of historian he is. We have selections from an interview taken in his home on October 11, 2008, by C-SPAN. I hope you enjoy it. Next, Patrick Buchanan contends that mistakes in British diplomacy, especially those by Prime Minister Winston Churchill, resulted in the world wars and the demise of the British Empire. Pat Buchanan, how would you describe Winston Churchill? Winston Churchill was a great man, one of the greatest of the century, uh, a man of extraordinary accomplishments and extraordinary capacities and abilities, but of an incurably flawed judgment. And I think Winston Churchill, for all his triumphs and successes, was probably the man most responsible for the early and rapid collapse of the British Empire. I think some of his judgments were colossally wrong, some of them were right, and I do believe he's probably the one of the most extraordinary men who ever lived. Expand on why you think he is responsible for the collapse of the British Empire. I think what brought the British Empire down as rapidly as it did and <clears throat> as terribly as it did was World War II. In my judgment, World War II was exactly what Churchill called it, the unnecessary war. And the fatal blunder, as I describe it in my book, was the decision in panic of the British government after Czechoslovakia fell apart in 1939, March, to give an unsolicited war guarantee to a collection of Polish colonels who had a romantic view of their own warlike capacities who had participated in the breakup of Czechoslovakia. And Britain gave this war guarantee unsolicited to back the Poles in a cause, control of Danzig, where they thought the Germans were fundamentally right. And that war guarantee, which stiffened the Polish spine, gave the Poles the backbone to stand up to Hitler, who now had no way out but to take Danzig, Hitler attacked Poland, the British declared war on Germany. That six-year war brought down the British Empire. And the man who was driving hardest for war with Germany was Winston Churchill. How would you describe Adolf Hitler? Hitler is, a, uh, is clearly a satanic figure uh, in, in terms of what he did, and an evil man, an amoral man, uh, a Darwinian who called himself a barbarian. But Hitler, as a statesman, 
his objectives and, 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 and foreign policy and geostrategic policy was in some ways more conservative, less ambitious than that of the Kaiser. Hitler had been in World War II, excuse me, World War I. He had fought for four years, and he'd come out of that war with these lessons learned. One was we made a fatal mistake going to a true front war with Russia and the Atlantic powers. The Americans and the British, as soon as we went to war with them, because they're great sea powers, they cut off all our colonies. Our colonies were hostages. We lost them all instantly. We can't defeat the British and the Americans. Secondly, the British are our natural ally. Even in Mein Kampf, he says, the British, they're a commercial power and a world power with all their colonies. We have no quarrel with the British. And therefore, they and the Italians are our natural allies. And to keep him, the British, friendly or neutral or allied meant that Hitler had to give up any ambitions to take back Alsace-Lorraine or the small territories he had lost to Belgium or Denmark. He wrote those off, and he wrote off the South Tyrol to Italy because he wanted an ally in Italy. What he wanted was peace or indifference in the West and to create around himself a number of basically satellite allied nations that would make Germany the dominant power in Central and Eastern Europe. And if there was one nation he wanted to go after and destroy, it was the Bolshevik regime in the Soviet Union. And in fact, in your book, you quote Mein Kampf saying that he wanted to go east and not He west. wanted to go east, and he made this decision. Other historians of Kirchhoff says the same thing, who wrote the last two very good books on Hitler and his ambitions, was that, that Hitler's ambitions uh, were in the East, and maybe only, some believe, only in the East. My view is I'm not even sure Hitler wanted a war with the Soviet Union. Clearly, as I demonstrate in the book from Hitler's own statesman, statements, he wanted the Polish Danzig question in the corridor settled not by force, he told his generals and diplomats. And that's understandable, given what he demanded. What did he demand? a Nazi flag over a German flag over Danzig, a city of a town of 350,000. Political control for the Germans let the Poles keep economic control. He didn't demand the Polish corridor back, and if he wanted war with Poland, that's what he would have demanded. He demanded a, a quarter-mile rail and road corridor across the Polish corridor between Prussia and Germany, which had been separated foolishly at Versailles by giving Poland this strip of German land between them. He never wanted war with Britain, and he never wanted a world war. But September 1st, 1939, Hitler invaded Poland. He invaded Poland because... Militarily. Militarily, because why did he invade Poland? On the 26th of March, he said, I don't want this issue settled by force with Poland. Why? He wanted Poland as an ally. He had an agreement with Pilsudski, who died in 1935. He liked Pilsudski. These people were right-wing neo-fascists. And, and Hitler liked the regime. And what he wanted from the regime, he thought the regime was a natural ally, just like Mussolini, just like Admiral Horthy, just like General Franco, just like the, uh, the, uh, the Monsignor Tiso in Slovakia. These were right-wingers he thought are natural allies. And in return for giving him Danzig back and a rail and road corridor, he wanted them in the anti-Comintern pack that he was pulling together of Germany Italy, Japan, against Moscow, the Soviet Union, Judeo-Bolshevism, as he called it. And so that's what he wanted. But when the 
Brits gave the war guarantee on the 31st, Hitler went berserk. In two days, he ordered Case White, and that is preparations for an invasion of Poland as of September 1, uh, at the latest. But then he kept making offers to Poland. He still wanted to deal with the Poles. He didn't want war. And then the British, of course, and the French are in Moscow trying to cut a deal with Stalin. And so Hitler's watching this. So And the Poles refuse even to talk to him about Danzig. And Henderson, the British ambassador, says, why wasn't I told of the generosity of Hitler's offer of April 25th? So Hitler is increasingly frustrated. He's going to be forced to back down. So he says, the West is, the West, the Poles have joined the West against me. So he forms an alliance with Stalin. Even that, I think, was not designed necessarily for war. It was designed diplomatically to get the Brits out. And what he did, that was on the 23rd or 24th of August. And so Neville Chamberlain's still prime minister. So Chamberlain, what does he do? When Hitler announces this Hitler-Stalin pact, Hitler thinks that this brilliant pact, we got the Soviets on our side and we're there, and clearly Poland's going to be divided again and the Brits can't do anything about it, they're not going to stand up behind their guarantee. The 24th, Chamberlain reissues the guarantee to Poland and forms a military alliance with Poland. What did Hitler do? He backed down. He called off the invasion for the 25th. And he tried to find a way all during that week, that period, to give, get some kind of deal with the Poles, which would at least, or some kind of offer to the Poles, would, would convince the British to say, look, Poland, you've got to deal with Germany or we're not going to stand by the guarantee. So ultimately, when you see Hitler in his own interpreter, when the British uh, hand the ultimatum in and Henderson takes it into Ribbentrop, who takes it into Hitler, Hitler is, uh, they just say his face was a mask of rage. He looked at Ribbentrop and he said, what now? And what he meant, I think, was our diplomacy has failed because he never, never wanted war with the British Empire. He, of all the leaders, take FDR, Churchill, Stalin, Mussolini, all the others, of all the leaders, Hitler was a greater admirer of the British Empire than any of them except Winston Churchill. What are some of the treaties that, in your view, led to world, or, or the breaking of treaties that led to World War II? Well, the, the, the seeds of World War II were planted at Versailles. Uh, when the Germans had surrendered on Wilson's 14 points, they said, we accept the 14 points, and it goes to your question, the right of self-determination. And so the Germans agreed that they were going to lose Alsace-Lorraine, that they're going to have to vacate Belgium. Uh, uh, that was in there, that the Poland needed a corridor to the sea. There would be an independent Poland. They had no problem with that. And so there's a number of things the Germans agreed to, but what happened is when they got to Versailles, the Germans weren't even invited to sit in, and they were handed this agreement, which basically tore Germany to pieces, tore the Austro-Hungarian Empire apart. Not only that, but put uh, Austrian Germans under Italian rule, uh, gave all these people got huge land grabs from it, the British, the French. But they basically, Hungary was torn to pieces. It lost uh, its lands to the new Czechoslovakia. But the key thing was what was done to Germany and not done in the West. Because I think the Germans accepted their losses in the West. And what was done by, first they put the Sudeten Germans, or German Bohemian, Bohemian Germans, put three and a half million of them underneath Czech rule. They didn't give them any right of self-determination. They had no right to do that. 
They put the Slovaks under Czech rule, the Ruthenians under Czech rule. Uh, they put uh, 500,000 or 100,000 Poles and 800,000 Hungarians all under Czech rule and made it Czechoslovakia the 10th largest industrial nation in the world. They set the stage for a future crisis. They took Silesia, even the part that voted to stay with Germany, and gave that to Poland. And then they gave the city of Danzig to Poland, or rather to the, made it a free city under the League of Nations, but Polish control. Then Memel, the Lithuanians came in and stole the German city of Memel. And so what the Germans did, they were, they were divided, they were dismembered, they were placed, given unpayable debts, all their colonies, which they said would be equally, I mean, we will settle, have a fair settlement. They stole everything from their colonies, all the German private property homes were taken. Uh, the German rivers were internationalized. Uh, Germany was denied the right to free trade in other countries, but every country could sell into Germany. And it was just a, it was a humiliation and a disgrace and a dishonoring of what Wilson had promised and a dishonoring of all the things that had been promised in, in, the, in the peace negotiations at, at the beginning, at the end of the war. And, uh, and they declared the Kaiser a war criminal. And then they made the Germans sign total moral responsibility for everything that happened in the war and forced him to do that. And they said, if you don't sign the treaty, thank God you had the lodge and those people who did not sign the Treaty of Versailles and did not ratify it in the Senate because Americans would have been required to enforce this horribly unjust, dishonorable peace the Allies had imposed and Wilson had brought home. Now come the British blunders. The British start to get guilty feelings. But the first one was a result of guilty feelings. They're in debt to the Americans. So the Americans, um, Harding, Harding and, uh, Harding and Heavens Hughes, the Secretary of State, they tell the British, look, uh, we're going to have a Washington Naval Conference and we want you to break your treaty with Japan. The British had a 20-year treaty with Japan. The Japanese had been completely loyal, had gobbled up all the German colonies in the Far East, had escorted British warships, British troops, Anzac troops to Gallipoli. And the Japanese had been loyal and faithful. The Americans says, give it up. And so the Brits had a huge battle over it. And... Uh, what happened was Billy Hughes, the Australian Prime Minister, said, we don't have to, Americans tell us what to do. We'll give up our treaty with Japan if you sign a treaty with us, you Americans, to protect our colonies, Hong Kong, Australia, New Zealand, all the rest, from the Japanese. Because if we, if we, if we insult and isolate Japan like that, we're going to make them an enemy. And the Americans offered them nothing, and the British, Churchill behind it, broke their treaty with Japan. Utter folly. That's the first blunder. And what was the result of that, though? Well, the result of that was the alienization and the isolation of Japan. What is Japan now? The Americans hate them. The Americans, they thought, were racist about the Japanese. They weren't entirely wrong. And they lost the British as an ally. They got nationalist uh, Chinese in China. China is rising. It is very anti-Japanese because of the Sino-Japanese War in the 1890s. And in Russia, they're facing this monstrous Bolshevik regime, uh, which is encroaching on China and Manchuria. And so the result of that was that the Japanese said, we've got to carve out an area in China as a, a, a defense, I mean, as a buffer state. And that's why the Japanese moved into Manchuria. They wanted to create a buffer state in China. And frankly, they now detested the West. And they also wanted to make the, uh, China the way the British had India. You know, we dump all our products here, and they produce for us, and that's our great colony. And so that's, and that is the reason the Japanese began to move in there. And if the British had not broken that alliance with the Japanese in 1931, when the Japanese moved into Manchuria, the British could have done what they did with the French. Okay, 
North China's your sphere of influence, South China's ours. The Japanese would have said fine. Pat Buchanan, are you suggesting that Poland should have been sacrificed to prevent World War II? No, I'm not suggesting Poland should have been sacrificed. What I'm saying is they should never have issued the war guarantee to Poland. They should have told the Poles the truth. We can't defend you, and there's no way we can defeat Germany in the amount of time it's going to take them to defeat you. You've got to decide this yourselves. That is what I'm saying, that Hitler didn't want war with Poland, he didn't want war with Britain, and had there been no guarantee, no war guarantee, there would have been no war in the West, in my judgment. And frankly, all the people, all the Jewish people and Christian people of Norway, Denmark, Belgium, Luxembourg, Holland, France, Italy, Yugoslavia, Greece would have survived the war. There would have been no war in the West. I'm talking here, basically, about the vital national interest of the British Empire. At each point in this process, it seemed to me at Versailles, even though it's very difficult for them at Versailles, given the passions that have been aroused by the horrors in the war, to impose a just peace, they should have corrected the errors of Versailles in Britain's own interest, in France's own interest, when they had a democratic Germany. As you move through each of these things, the British should have acted in their own interest and told the Americans, we will break our alliance with Japan if you will give us an alliance. They didn't do that. They broke the alliance with Japan. They caved into the Americans. They capitulated. They appeased the Americans. That was a mistake. With regard to Ethiopia, with regard to Mussolini, this in Kissinger agrees here with me, and everybody else does. Churchill eventually does. And Churchill even did at the time. He said, I'm, I'm very worried about breaking it up with Italy, which has been a longtime friend of ours, over Ethiopia, which is, nobody can say that it's a modern nation or an advanced civilized nation. Why are we destroying our relationship with the Italians over this colony, uh, over Ethiopia, which we don't care about, when the vital thing is the Germans and we want the alliance with Italy? This is the standpoint of all these decisions is British vital national interests. As I said, the war guarantee was an act of folly because Britain had no vital interest in Eastern Europe, had no interest at all in who controlled Danzig or the corridor, and yet they put the British Empire on the line to go to war on behalf of Poland in a cause in which they disbelieved and in a war they could not win in Eastern Europe when, where they had never fought before. Why in heaven's name would you do that? And the answer, of course, is that Chamberlain did it in panic and hysteria. He had been humiliated by Hitler because Czechoslovakia had fallen apart. He'd been made a fool of. And so and, and, and he's being pushed by his foreign, his foreign minister. And he's being pushed by Churchill and Attlee and all the rest. So he makes a stupid decision which cost Britain their empire. No, I support the, uh, the Americans. As I say, we did it right. Our vital interests, quite frankly, were not in Hungary. And so Ike didn't intervene. Our vital interests weren't in Poland in 1953. They weren't in Czechoslovakia in 1968. We didn't go to war. We just drew a line. We said, don't cross that line, because once you get into Western Germany, you're talking about the vital interest of the United States. We did it right. The British did, us, did it wrong. That is the entire, or one of the entire points of this book. Thank you, for Mr. Buchanan, for allowing us to come here. Oh, well, I'm delighted you came over, and I'm delighted with the time, because this is... Um, Really, these, these two wars, I think, were the, were the mortal blows that may have killed, uh, may prove the mortal blows of Western civilization. 
after that, the two wars, of course, killed all the great Western empires that ruled the entire world. America emerged, and Bolshevik Russia emerged. Uh, and then the Cold War, we exhausted ourselves. And now you take a look at the European countries. Not a single one of them is, is, uh, has a birth rate that will allow it to survive in present form through this century. Uh, they're being invaded, and they can do nothing, virtually nothing about it from the Islamic world and Africa. It's changing the culture and dividing their societies. And I think it all goes back to these terrible mortal wounds, these physical wounds. It must have killed 150 million civilians, soldiers, the finest of, the, of all these nations, destroyed in battle and the civilians slaughtered in various ways. Uh, the Christian West committed suicide. And it's lost its faith. And I think it's headed, uh, frankly, I think it's headed on course uh, to Cafe Terminus. I am speaking to you from the cabinet room at 10 Downing Street. This morning, the British ambassador in Berlin handed the German government a final note stating that unless we heard from them by 11 o'clock that they were prepared at once to withdraw their troops from Poland, a state of war would exist between us. I have to tell you now that no such undertaking has been received and that consequently this country is at war with Germany. Let us therefore brace ourselves to our duty. So bear ourselves that if the British Empire and its Commonwealth last for a thousand years, men will still say, this was their finest hour. I'd like to thank Bob Acosta and Rick Harmon for their technical assistance and to credit PBS and the City of Prague Philharmonic for their sound vignettes. You can obtain the entire interview from YouTube, C-SPAN, or I can send you a copy through SendSpace. It includes a tour of the Buchanan Library, which is really interesting. Last September, according to Wikipedia, MSNBC removed Pat Buchanan's opinion column from its web page after receiving a number of complaints from Jewish organizations. Patrick Buchanan had taken the occasion 
of the 70th anniversary of Hitler's invasion of Poland to argue that Great Britain should not have declared war against Germany. Who was right? MSNBC, Pat Buchanan, or the Jewish organizations? As we have a hundred years of history to discuss, we best get started, and I do hope you enjoyed Pat Buchanan's book. I particularly enjoyed not so much Buchanan. Well, I, I enjoyed the book, but I have to say that um, the the last little part when Chamberlain and Churchill were speaking, I think that was Chamberlain, I was in the war rooms in London and got to hear all of this, and uh, it, it really was uh, quite interesting um, that that brought this uh, it, this this brought all that back to me and uh you know just I, we spent hours and hours and hours in those war rooms and they're very much underground and you know looking at the different exhibits of what churchill did and you know the way he thought don that was and mary ellen thank you for that comment that was wonderful not that i agreed with everything Buchanan said. I did not finish the book. I'm going to now for sure. Um, we got to remember, however, there are times when Patrick Buchanan, he's very logical at times uh, through the book, but the attitude after World War One, and, and I guess what stuck in my craw was he said Hitler was more conservative than Kaiser Wilhelm. Uh, I'm not sure about that. You know, after World War One, um, people were, the Americans didn't want to go, uh, uh, people said, why didn't we go to Russia? Why didn't we just, you know, get rid of the Bolsheviks? We were sick of war. So were they, the French were afraid of Germany. They'd been attacked before and humiliated, uh, and the British, uh, and so forth. And he oversimplifies. The thing he really glosses over, however, is the, the persecution of the Jews, the murders by the Nazi regime. My God, the Nazis in Austria uh, murdered the uh, the premier there, Dolphus, wasn't it? And uh, Hitler was raging because he didn't want to get into a war. He wasn't so mad that they did it. He just was, wasn't timely. So I think, uh, but he doesn't talk about the the uh, persecution of, of six million Jews and six million Christians or whatever. He just kind of, he wouldn't, he implies that it wouldn't have happened because we wouldn't have had war. Hitler was already killing them. The Night of the Thousand Knives, Crystal Night, you know, when he burned the books, he was already doing some of that. That's that's the beginning, anyway. Uh, for the book, for me, there was just three or four different ironies uh, between um, Hitler and uh, I forgot now what his name is. The the leader of Germany. I mean, so Hitler was the leader of Germany. Uh, Hitler and the the leader of uh, of um, is um, well. Excuse me. Never mind. Um, I going to say one thing. He brings up the Jewish issues several times, and what he was saying, as, as he said it briefly, that the, uh, all the Jews in the West would have survived, that is, in France and uh, the uh, Belgium, Denmark, Norway, and, and so on, would have survived. The, the, I guess what he's saying is that there was no way that Britain could uh, save Poland and the six million Jews. They only had five divisions 
in their army. They didn't have mo they didn't have conscription. The Germans had a hundred divisions, and there was just no way they could help. Now remember, we didn't uh, rescue Hungary or Czechoslovakia from the Russians because they had more tanks, many more tanks, and they also had an atomic bomb somewhere down the road. So, uh, you know, when you don't have the wherewithal, you don't uh, go go there and. Uh, he, he's pretty honest. I think he, what, the, the Germans were terrible. Mussolini thought they were terrible. He describes how Mussolini started out detesting uh, Hitler, and then after, but after the Ethiopian thing, he he switched sides. Uh, so he brought that up, and uh, the other mistake, of course, was Japan, who became uh, the enemy. So I don't know what would happen because I think if. They would, uh, Hitler would eventually have gone to war with Russia anyway. And I was reading tonight at the end of the book, he says, well, the United States waited four years before they invaded Europe, and we only lost 400,000 people where the Russians lost 10 million, and we eventually lost, won the Cold War. So anyway, that's, that's, he, he has a lot of very interesting insights, but I, I think he makes sense. Uh, it was kind of silly because, you know, Britain did go to war, declare war, and, uh, and then, of course, then they, Germany invaded France, and, and uh, Britain went in to, to help them, and, and uh, Hitler kicked them out of Europe. Okay, I think I got my thoughts a little bit more together now than I did a few minutes ago. It was just it, several ironies in this whole book was that, it seemed like Hitler and the Nazi Party was so much against uh, the communists in Russia or the Soviet Union, yet they formed an alliance with them to begin with. Then between Hitler and Mussolini, where Hitler really admired Mussolini, but Mussolini despised Hitler, and then they ended up feeling, uh, having an alliance together. And then the, the third irony for me was um, it's that between uh, Great Britain and France, there, you know, when Germany started building up their, their armed forces, uh, it seemed like, you know, it was like Great Britain and France were kind of sleeping. And and therefore, in Britain didn't have anybody any military power whatsoever compared to Germany. Yet they were going to do this, you know, these war guarantees to help out Poland. It's just, you know, really nonsense. Um. So my first thing is I have to confess that I didn't finish reading the book. Um. So what I'm about to say may just be things that were brought up early on in the book, and I can't, I don't know. But I suppose one of the things, and maybe the reason I didn't finish reading the book, is that there seems to be this sort of regret on the part of Pat Buchanan that the British Empire fell apart, um, and that it, it's come to an end, and gosh darn, I mean, how horrible it is that there isn't this sort of mechanism anymore in the world that's spreading Western cultural views, etc. And I can't say I feel that regret. 
I mean, the fact that I say that doesn't mean that I'm, like, pro anything else. But I, I truly can't say that I am regretful that the British Empire uh, fell apart. Um, so I think that's one of the things that sort of stuck in my craw and made it a little more difficult to actually work my way through this book. The second thing is this sort of, I agree that the way Germany was treated at Versailles most likely contributed to um, World War II in the sense that, I mean, wouldn't it have been fantastic if the Allies had taken the higher road as Woodrow Wilson tried to encourage them to do and actually not put in all these horrible sort of reparation demands and taken away Germany's colonies, etc. I mean, but unfortunately, that's not what happened. So I, I agree with that. But almost anything else, I, true, I, I can agree with, with, with Pat Buchanan, at least on the bit that I've read. I mean, I can agree that Hitler wouldn't have sort of killed, killed the Jews because I think that was part of his plan. Whether he went east or west or wherever he went, he was going to get rid of these people who he saw as less than people. So that's it. I, I think you've got some good points there. Uh, one, I think Buchanan is sorry that the English Empire is gone, as well as the other European empires. Remember, in 1914, Europe and England, they controlled most of the known world. That is Germany, France, Germany, France, England, and of course the oldest and biggest empire of them all was uh, uh, Tsarist Russia. So um, it was a landlocked empire, and then Germany had its colonies in, in, in uh, and so did uh, Belgium and all those other countries. So Africa, Asia, and the world was pretty well controlled. And he, he believed, I think he believes in the white man's burden type thing mentality that existed at that time and of course the United States was kind of trying to get in there a little bit too now I, now I've forgotten what my other other thought was but uh, so I'll, I'll be quiet I forgot my other point which uh, okay I'll... Um, I, okay there we go I think that Lynn and, and Cheryl make some very very good points and uh, I haven't read all the book either but uh, speculations, yes, the way the Germans were treated uh, at Versailles, they, they, they weren't even asked to sit down and be there. Um, remember, the Germans, four years, the Germans had, had, had gone and pounded um, the French in 1871. They, they came back again. Kaiser Wilhelm uh, did. Uh, there was a lot of hatred. Woodrow Wilson uh, suffered a stroke. I, I think Woodrow Wilson was a great man. He was above it all. He said, let's try. Let's, let's have a League of Nations. He believed it. Americans wouldn't tolerate that. They were not going to fight under, uh, in an international army under a, a foreign commander. Uh, and, and of course, um, they broke Wilson's heart. He was a broken man. And then all bets were off. The British, the French, they were calling the shots. The Italians always changed sides. They changed sides in World War I and World War II. 
you still, um, well, you had a depression leading to the rise uh, of Hitler. I, too, believe, I don't care if it's in Germany, Hitler wanted Lebensraum. He wanted room. He would have taken other countries. I, I believe that. And he would have killed Jews and Christians. I don't think he was a very nice guy. He was a rogue. Even even uh, Mussolini said, we've got to do something with this rogue. Now, one thing Mussolini tried to do in 1933 was get the the, the powers, what, England, France, was it uh, was it Czechoslovakia and Italy, uh, to, together to stop uh, uh, Hitler. And they wouldn't do it. They didn't want to do it. Okay. The final a couple of more points. This was isolationism. America didn't step up there either. We wanted isolationism. And um, the Brits were, even though they're not in Europe, technically they were, though. And, um, yes, it's kind of dumb that they picked Poland as the place, but it was going to happen. And I, my speculation, and it's total speculation, that Churchill said, let's go to Poland. We're going to get beaten there for a while, but we'll get America into the war. And we'll just defeat Germany. He wanted to defeat Germany, and he wanted to defeat the Soviet Union. He wasn't able to do that in his lifetime. But uh, Churchill said that the line in the sand is Poland. It might seem, seem kind of dumb. We're going to get beat up for a while, but the United States will get into the war. And Roosevelt, by his maneuverings, did it with Pearl Harbor, and that was it. That's my speculation, but that's what I believe. Um, yeah, I, Bob, that's great. I remember the two points. We read Margaret Mitchell and we all book uh, the six months to change the world, and she she maintained that the uh, reparations and that really did, and the penalties that the Allies imposed on Germany weren't that important. And I, I think Buchanan pretty well refutes that because she didn't mention that the uh, that Germany had to give up its fleet, and so they, they, they sailed their ships to Scapa Flow, remember? And then they scuttled all the ships. They sank them. And then the British started shooting at the lifeboats. And this was after the war was over. And they, the British also took their merchant fleets. And they took control, you know, they made their rivers uh, open to all the countries. So, and then they wouldn't uh, give free trade to Germany while it was still a democracy and... Uh, and that, you know, and the, the uh, prime minister of Germany, it was a chancellor, I guess, said, if you don't give us that, we're going to have, the Nazis will take over. And they did. So I, I think he did. Now, what Human Smoke brought up, and by the way, it's now available on BARD, um, is that after Dunkirk, uh, uh, Hitler was making a lot of, uh, uh, approaches to England to settle, and and um, and according to Human Smoke, the uh, the English were bombing uh, German cities. They were bombing civilians and the rest of it. They started the bombing and uh, before the Germans ever did it to London. And finally, uh, Hitler went the other way. Of course, he wanted to, he wanted to invade Russia and all that, I guess. But uh, so and by the way, I didn't in. Uh, Defense of Buchanan, he starts out saying that Hitler was an evil man, a satanic figure, even a Darwinist, whatever that is. So, you know, that's... that's. Yeah, but I think he admires him as a statesman. I'm sorry. That's what the underlying what I think. I have not read his parts about Hitler yet. He comments a little bit. Here. What he's saying is murders were committed in the name of the Nazis, and Hitler was outraged. This is not, we, we don't want to do that. You know, we want to be peaceful. Um, I'm sorry. You couldn't trust him. 
you'd make a treaty and he'd tear it up. He would do whatever he wanted. Um, now, he had his alliance with Russia, which was a real cool move, I thought. But then he made that decision. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go after him. I'm gonna. He did exactly what Napoleon and others did, which he shouldn't have done. He had a two-front war. His idea was to try to keep Russia at bay, keep them out of it, out of the war. And the the, the thing I I'm speculating. I want to make that clear. I think Pat Buchanan would have supported a division of the world between Hitler and the United States, and that's that's way out there. And I'm speaking for Pat, who's not here, but uh, I think he would have been happy with that one. Um, the problem I had with the book, well, one of the problems, um, was it's like dumping all these historical facts into a spreadsheet and then start changing them. If this guy did this, then this else would have, would have happened, or this would change that. And I don't know that you can do history like that. Because, you know, if I decide not to slug uh, Robert in the stomach, um, maybe he won't pick the chair up and hit me over the head. I, I don't, I, I just really had a big trouble, a lot of trouble with, with the book. And there, um, later on in the book, close to the end, it looked like to me Buchanan was comparing Nazi Germany to and when we lost, you said we lost the West, um, which I reckon he means uh, to, to communism. Um, and so we, um, and he was saying about how despicable and my word, um, you know, communism was, and he was kind of comparing the communists and how bad they are, and Stalin's atrocities to Hitler's atrocities. And how much worse the, their, the, the Stalin's atrocities were than Hitler's. Is this is my impression, and I'm just going. I mean, you know, it's all bad. That's right, Lynn. That's the, that's the impression I get. And I haven't read that part, but hearing Pat, I've heard him talk about this, and I think he thinks sure that the communists were really bad. You know, Hitler, we could have made an approachment with them. The United States. I don't think he wrote. I think he wrote Britain off. He didn't like Churchill. The Churchill. There is a Churchill cult in the country, and Pat did say in the interview, a great man, a great man, but his flaw was faulty judgment all the way down. Well, that's going to be a tough sell for the man who said, uh, "Let this be England's greatest hour," and he was there when they were bombed, and England, England made it. The RAF and all that. I'm not saying he did the battling, but he went and got. He got Lend Lease from Roosevelt. He made buddies with him. Uh, and so forth, and got Roosevelt dragged us into the war, and uh, you know we were going to do it anyway, just like World War One. But I think if I, that's what I'm saying, I think Pat would say, "Well, the Soviet Union's bad, but we could have got along with Hitler. He's he's so he's kind of satanic, but he's okay, but not with the communists." I think uh, I think uh, of course he hated the communists more than than the, the right-wing uh, fascists. He, he admired the fascists, uh, you know, and so did Hitler. I mean, and Hitler wanted to be a fascist. I think it was kind of a fascist wannabe, but uh, uh, he is an isolationist all the way. Remember how in the beginning he describes the wonderful peace that existed before 1914 in Europe uh, with uh, Bismarck created Germany from these tiny little republics 
and he only fought three wars between the Napoleonic, I think it was Napoleonic area or the Franco-Prussian War in 1914. England had four, I mean, had ten wars that it fought. You know, that's what he brings out. And he's saying that the, the Germans, it's hard to believe, are less, more peace-loving, were more peace-loving than the British. And of course, they, they had this crude, overbearing, militaristic demeanor, but they, they only fought those three wars. You know, when they uh, had the Franco-Prussian War, they just marched into to Paris and marched out again after they beat the uh, French. And uh, I've forgotten what the other two wars they were. I think in Denmark or Belgium over some territory, it was the same piece of land where the British were, of course, had an empire. They had to fight other wars, uh, including the Crimean and so on. So uh, then, then he thinks that the, you know, the U.S. should have stayed out of both wars, and he, he thinks that uh, if we we had, we probably would be better off, and uh, the world would be better off. And he is definitely an isolationist. Yeah, and Don, I'm with Lynn about moving things around, saying now if 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 Lincoln hadn't been killed, assassinated by Booth, it would have been a perfect world. Lincoln would have rolled on. Who knows? The next guy would have killed him, or whatever happened. I mean, I don't. That's right. I I agree with Lynn. You guys are playing with history, and um. So um, yeah. Let's say we stayed out of World War II, especially, and um, we'd have to also make uh, Japan needed oil. So we'd have to make a decision: Do we side with Japan and give her oil to stay out of the war? Do we let Hitler win Europe? He would have. He would have been dominant in Europe, maybe defeated uh, Great Britain. We would never stand for that. We wouldn't do it. We we had to get in, and, and Churchill was betting that we would. Yeah, I think you, you need to leave these questions. You know, what if? What if? To the to the uh, science fiction and to the fiction writers. Um, uh, all I know is if. There wasn't any intervention, and they just pretty much let the Nazi regime and Hitler run amok. There wouldn't be any Jews left. There probably wouldn't be any blind people left. Probably wouldn't be any uh, mentally challenged people left. Probably wouldn't, well, on and on and on. Well, you forget how bad the rest of the 20th century was because um, what the uh, communists did in China and Indochina in uh Laos, and so on, there, there's been an awful death toll. I was going to bring two things. The Germans were very careful record keepers. And uh, in Shire's book, you know, they didn't make, uh, they, they were planning to do something with the Jews. That's, there's no question. They, it was whether they'd expel them to Madagascar or someplace or that. And they did kind of work into the finalist uh, solution. And, and as they say in the book, they... They held up train, you know, they, they uh, trains to Buchenwald and the, these other places in Poland for, with the Jews to the death camps took priority over the military trains to to fight the Russians. So they they definitely had plans to kill Jews. There's no no question about it. However, there was no plans to invade ever invade the United States. Uh, it would have taken a, you know a thousand a thousand or more ships. And the rest of it, and there, there was nothing in the German records uh, indicating their their plans to do it. So I, I think that was that was uh, of course a hidden threat all along during World War II and on that he would take over the world. 
But, I mean, wasn't um, Hitler working on an atomic bomb? Wasn't that one of the sort of issues as to why um, we needed to get involved, not just to sort of help Britain, but to help forestall the sort of building of this potentially destructive force. And if that's the case, they don't need plans to invade America, or they didn't need plans, because we know just the plane, and, and that would have been enough. Don was and Lynn and everybody was it uh, was the bomb that we know that uh, what's his name I um I'm thinking of Frankenstein Einstein left thank God he got out then he was our man uh, Fermi and some of those guys but uh, were the Germans into the bomb as early as 38 I don't think so they were later and in fact Harry Truman says we won the race against the Germans we used the bomb right. We won it against the Germans as war is over and all this stuff. So they were they were um, trying to create a bomb for sure. And Hitler with a bomb, oh my God. I think that definitely they, they were, but so were the Japanese and so were the Russians. And, uh, the, as, and we did it because they did it. And uh, Churchill, uh, we've got to give him credit on that. He had them bomb out, bombed. He, they, they ruined their... They, they bombed the atomic energy, whatever plans they had, in Pinamunde, I guess it was, where they bombed that. And the Russian and the Japanese things were just like a graduate student program. It was the U.S. in fear of it, of course, that had that immense uh, industrial project because making uh, weapon-grade uranium, uh, it took a long time. And uh, outside of penicillin, that was the two great great projects of the uh, Second World War. And uh, uh, I don't think that was a major thinking of any of the major powers, though, why they went to war. I don't think, I mean, that was such just kind of pie in the sky kind of thing. But, Don, I have a problem with, with the empire. Yeah, we know the British Empire, the sun never set on the British Empire. And I, I'd say it was good for a while, the economy, you know, and the Dutch proved it when we read that book with you, I think. Um, but, I mean, I'm glad the empire broke up. I wanted India to be independent. I, I think Mahatma Gandhi was a great man. And and, you, and Cheryl's right. You hear almost tears from Pat Buchanan, the, the West, the holy British. They're a great empire. And, and we have an empire to some extent, although we would say we don't. But we have control over country. But, I mean, I'm glad that the empires are breaking up, in my opinion. Yeah, me too. Um, colonialism was... It was just a gosh-awful uh, way for peoples to live. <laughs> oh, I, I have no question about... Uh, by the way, I think the British Empire would have broken up India anyway, and the others would have followed. Uh, you know, Gandhi was making progress. There was a lot of opposition to the British Empire, and, of course, Churchill was a ter rampant imperialist, now, the French put up a tougher fight. You know, they, they, they got pretty mean in their defense of in, 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 um, Vietnam and some of their other, and especially uh, North Africa. They were brutal there trying to suppress the, the they, they considered it part of France, actually. And uh, they had to kick, they had, and they had to, and they over, they had to, had a revolution in France itself, you know, the Fifth Republic. Cause, Fourth and Fifth Republic. So, 
you know, that, uh, I think colonialism was not a good thing. Uh, Western civilization was. And, uh, and how it would have happened, I don't, but it, it, I don't know if it could have been any bloodier. In one of my readings, extracurricular readings, I got into, uh, uh, wasn't particularly a book on Gandhi itself, but um, on the independence movement in, in India. And how you know it was uh, it was kind of scary reading because at the time uh, for me um, it was like um, they had the, the independence movement with Gandhi and he was just you know playing once you know the Nazis off against the the Allies and you know whoever would help with the independence of India would you know would um, be there you know would they would um, kind of work together but um, luckily for for us, I guess the good guys won the, the United States. <laughs> Churchill was a pretty mean guy. He was the guy that was going to use poison gas on the Iraqis, remember. And uh, he, he says, what did it say? It takes three days to burn a village. That was in human smoke. You know, he had these interesting little little quotes on uh, running an empire is, uh, you've got to be willing to kill the population, I think, to do it. And that's why we're not, we don't have empires anymore. They uh, do it. The U.S. committed a lot of atrocities in uh, the Philippines when we took over, and we—I think we lost about 4,000 troops there. And we don't hear much about that. But uh, uh, the colonialism is. But then you see the countries without <laughs> in Africa now, in the shape of these third-world world countries that haven't matured, and they're going through a lot of chaos. And the British did the best job of them all, I think, in, in preparing the countries for, uh, for uh, self-government. I think, I feel, uh, my feelings are the reason that we don't really outright win wars now and they drag on for so long is, you know, when you declare war on an enemy, you have to have total war. And that means not just um, against the military power. I mean, you got to, because it's a total effort of a nation to go to war. Um, And if it calls, if you have to have carpet bombings of cities to win the war, that's what you got to do. You can't just, you know, you know, decide to bomb Hanoi and then next time don't decide to bomb Hanoi or and stuff like that. I'm I'm against war. In all its forms, but if if you're gonna go go to war, um, go all out. I um I I hear what you're saying. I think I suppose part of my thought is that maybe what's happened over the year is years is that we really have come to accept that human life is something that's precious, and the sort of drawback is that of course there are others in the world who haven't quite gotten there. And they're willing to just go all out and kill you. And we're trying to fight a, wa- fight a war and to protect ourselves without killing anybody. And I don't know how, how those things work together. Very good comment there. Uh, yeah, we hope we're getting better with human rights. Absolutely. Not perfect. And we've done our share of atrocities. But Lynn is right, too. A, a war like against Afghanistan, the Al-Qaeda and all would take a total commitment. We could win it. There's no doubt about it in my mind.
but uh, we have to look at the balance of power in the world. What do we want it? Do we want the war? You know, uh, Obama, President Obama ran, I'll get you out in 16 months. Hillary said the first day. That's what they're all saying. We knew that wasn't going to happen. Those, those sort of promises they couldn't keep. I wondered, uh, I, you know, I'd rather have a partial war than, than the uh, total war because, you know, like when we bombed Sarajevo, uh, we were very careful not to, we only did partial things, and I, I don't think we necessarily did the right thing there, but uh, we did. And Buchanan, I think, uh, very much thought because we were, we were helping Muslims fight Christians, but um, I, uh, I, I'm going to lose my thought thought again. But um, so I'll let, I'll be quiet. I got distracted before I. Thought. Well, Don, we're kind of nearing the end of the hour. Do you have a suggestion for another book? Your books are always so good. Well, I do. For next week, I'm go- I, I, unless some has anybody read the Shays Rebellion already. Because I'm thinking of changing the the the, uh, the the book selection, unless somebody has strong ob- objections, I thought we'd get, it's a little lighter reading. It's on American Revolutionary War period, which is always ha- happiest since we won uh, a story. And this is Washington's secret Navy, and it, it's about the uh, when they were they were surrounding. Uh, I guess it was at Boston. Yeah, it was Boston, and Congress had not yet uh, passed the Declaration of Independence, and there was no, you know, Washington didn't have enough gunpowder to for more than an hour's fight, and the British were well entrenched with their redoubts and all that, and the harbor was full of these merchant ships, and while they had uh, they blockaded all the the food coming in from the countryside, the British were bringing it in through the ocean and the, the merchant marine. And so he started a small navy without telling Congress. And he was always respecting uh, civilian control of his armed forces. But he, he, he set up, um, uh, it was the beginnings of the U.S. Ma- uh, Navy, privateers. But uh, I think it's a very interesting. And the gentleman is a very good writer. He wrote two books. The other one was uh, Benedict Arnold's Navy. But this seemed to be the better of them. It's 14 hours. It's a different reader. Shay's Rebellion, I think, was the same reader as Buchanan's book. So I think that'll make people feel better. And uh, so that's that's the name of the book. Who wrote it, Don? That would help, too. Uh, we could find it that way. And is it in MLS and Bookshare, or where do we find it? And it's called George Washington's Secret Navy and how the um, American Revolution... Went to sea, and it's uh, James L. Nelson. Uh, he's a military writer, and it's DB six seven three nine eight. It's Ray Childs reading it, and it's uh, sixteen hours. So I think you will enjoy it. Uh, if I was going to ask, did anybody have any feelings about? Um, we've already read one odd thing by Collapse. Remember that book? Well. Guns, germs, and steel kind of brought up the same subjects we were, uh, how Europe became a colonial power and ruled the world. He, he says it wasn't racial superiority, it was this, that all these elements were together and you had feedback loops and all that stuff. So think about that and uh, we can do it. But this time it's Washington's secret Navy.
Well, that's fine, Don. James L. Nelson, is it? We'll find him, we'll f- and you'll send it out to us. So without further ado, if you don't mind, Don, excellent discussion here. In fact, I'm going to dump this in some of the lists and let people hear the download, uh, the reflect on the interview. It, it'll be up there, archived, of course, but and with good discussions, extra good on some of these um, book groups. Uh, I'm going to make it a policy to get it out at least on the list, and people can download if they want to there. But I thank you guys for coming, and uh, we meet again uh, the third Wednesday in February, which I think is the 17th of February. But we'll we'll you know watch for the newswires, and thank you for coming.